0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Philippians 4, verses 20 through 23, the end of the chapter, the end of the book. Looking at glory, greetings, and grace. Working our way through the benediction to the book of Philippians anxious to get into Colossians, pretty neat. I uh, had lunch with Pastor Cliff yesterday and so uh, we we're catching up with one another and the different things and he's on the verge of starting a new series in the book of Romans and so he's uh, he's really eager to, to get into that and of course I'm getting ready to start Colossians and you just get uh, chomping at the bit, ready to ready to tackle something new and that's that was pretty neat. So anyway, he says hi by the way, and do bring greetings from Lost Pines Bible Church and the The saints there uh, with Pastor Cliff. All right, Philippians chapter 4, to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever, amen. That's Philippians 420. And uh, we're dealing with these issues on glory and how do we glorify the Father and uh, is forever really forever? So tonight we're going to take this evening to study forever and I I expect I can teach forever in about 60 minutes. So we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. Before we get started let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask our Father's blessing on our time in the truth. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do come before you tonight thankful for your faithfulness, thankful for the blessings you pour forth again and again and again. And Father, we thank you for every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Um, the position that we have as church age believer priests is is just so powerful, Father. And I thank you that it's centered in your glory, that uh, we are going to be glorifying you with our uh, husband, with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I thank you for opening our eyes to these beautiful truths that we can Start making the application even now. We're not waiting for heaven for heaven in order to begin our eternal glorification. We're glorifying you today, each and every day, and we thank you for this uh, privilege and this blessing. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. All right, we do want to take a few minutes though for Q and A. We uh, have grown accustomed to. The microphone is ready to go, and I believe Doug said he had a question. We can give that the leadoff question, or if someone wants to go before Doug, you can arm wrestle for it. How about that? Nope, no one's going to arm wrestle Doug. So Doug, you get our first question tonight. Uh, Pastor Bob, this is from Al, who's working, not able to get here, but he texted me this question. Um, Let's see here. How soon after the rapture can we expect the judgment seat of Christ to occur? That's an excellent question. How soon after the rapture? Um, We don't really know. I mean, that's the thing. We have, you have rapture passages, in the Bible, and you have judgment seat of Christ passages in the Bible, but there's really no text that has both in the same passage, and so we relate them uh, with, I think it should be shortly thereafter, I can't imagine there'll be a lot of business to take care of prior to that, so I've always envisioned it as, you know, uh, we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and he takes us back to heaven, and before we actually get shown around at different places, I think first order of business is going to be the judgment seat. And, and that's the pattern, too, in, in the wilderness judgment of Israel and in the sheep and goat judgment. Uh, it, it seems to me that judgment is the first order of business. And then we'll have uh, the, the wedding supper and all the other celebrations. Okay. Uh, his first question he's going to email to you. Mm-hmm. He did add a third one as we were uh, his third question, uh, the second question for us. Okay. At the judgment seat of Christ, will we experience shame for those deeds that are wood, hay, and stubble? Would we expect that is the last negative emotion we will experience in eternity? Yeah, I, I would say so. I don't know. Um, the The wiping away of every tear doesn't happen until Revelation twenty one, right. and so uh, I expect there will be tears at the judgment seat of Christ. I I plan on it. Uh, I don't know if uh, yeah. it's just hard to say. It, it's not mentioned there, but but I would expect if if because uh, sorrow is not always sinful, and the, and the Lord has sorrow. And I think the sorrow over lost reward would be a natural, holy, sanctified thing to do, you know. And I think the sorrow is not so much for the terrible time we wasted and the awful things we did; it's for the 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 fact that we failed to glorify Jesus during those periods of carnality and human good production. So, yeah, I expect there'll be tears at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, thank you. Okay, I appreciate that. And so he's emailing me his other question. All right. Well, then I'll go home and check my email and try to answer next week. For that. All right, let's cross the aisle over here. David's got the next question.
1: Yeah, I've got a follow-up to some of those questions. How soon does the tribulation start after the rapture? Or do we know?
0: Again, that's a marvelous question. And um, I believe there will be a, a period of time that it does not have to start the very next morning or the split second after the rapture. Uh, really, the 70th 7, it's a calendar that's given in Daniel chapter 9, because there are 69 sevens, and then there's one final seven remaining, and uh, and it begins with the signing of a treaty, signing of a covenant with Antichrist, and so it says in Daniel uh, 9 that he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, and so uh, yeah, it could be a week, a month, a year, even even in the, uh, I don't think it's going to be quite this long, but when you go to Daniel 9:24 seventy-sevens have been decreed for your people in your holy city. When you look within the context of verse 25 and 26, right there within verse 26 when it says, after the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Well, that was the cross. That was the crucifixion in in 33 A.D. And then it says, the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. It's end will come with a flood. That was 70 A.D. So right there in that one verse, in, in Daniel nine twenty six, you've got an event that happens in thirty three AD and an event that happens in seventy AD. So the, right there you've got a thirty-three year period of time, a thirty-seven year period of time in that one verse. So it's not it would not be inconsistent then for there to be even a few years that go by after the rapture before the seventieth seven resumes and, and the tribulation actually begins. Does that make sense? Excellent. Good question. Other questions tonight? Front row. This is great. I love it when we go front row, back row, left, right. We keep our runner. Chris Slim. He's very fit. Yes. Well, you just um, opened up. What? Why are can worms kept in cans? You opened up another can there. Okay. Um, if the the Rapture yanks the church out. But the tribulation hasn't started yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is just meddling with periods or something. But what about people who believe before the tribulation? There's still tribulation saints, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't confuse. Great question. Um, just because this calendar of sevens is is on hold and doesn't resume until until that treaty is signed, Uh, that does not change the stewardship. So the dispensation of the church ends at the rapture, and then that split second later, it it is Israel's stewardship again. It it reverts back to the dispensation of Israel. So so if, in fact, the last person... I want to be the evangelist that leads the last person to Christ to finish the church age. I've shared that many times. I want to be the evangelist that gets that last person saved that finishes the bride because that's that's fun. You get them saved, and then the trumpet sounds, and, and we launch. Um, but the next person to get saved after that, so the trumpet sounds, and we're raptured, and we're out of here. Let's say 30 minutes later, somebody else somewhere else on the planet gets saved. They're not in the bride of Christ. They're not in the church. They're not in the church age. They They miss the rapture by some 30 minutes, right, or whatever time. And so they become then, what we would think of as an Old Testament saint, they become a believing Jew or a believing Gentile. Once again, back in the circumstance where there is a distinction between Jew and Gentile. It's only in Christ that there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. And so, uh, yeah, they will become a tribulational saint and and a part of of the tribulational program after that. Okay, and I do have a follow on there. Uh Uh, Sort of people who in this dispensation refuse to believe mm-hmm. do you believe that there will be a certain category of people who will not be able to believe yes i do and that's from second thessalonians chapter 2 and because there's a strong delusion and um if you're not familiar with this that the antichrist has a, a program of lies second thessalonians chapter 2 And uh, it says in verse 10 with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And that's with reference to some period of time prior to a deadline that when the Father sets that then they're given over. They're given over to the delusion. And it says specifically they did not receive a love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, again that's Rejection of the gospel before the deadline. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. And so I believe this is a hostile disbelief, rejection of the gospel during the church age. And those folks that, that were hostile to the gospel and rejected the gospel during the church age, they are the ones given over to this delusion after the rapture. Uh-huh. And to me that's clear, and that's that's an exegetical development out of uh, out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, there was a YouTube video posted about a month ago um, by Pastor Andy Woods, and I love Andy, Andy's a great pastor, but he spent about an hour and a half arguing that that view is wrong, that the strong delusion is not applied to uh, those who reject the gospel during the church age, and it's but he wouldn't answer what the right view is then. He would just spend an hour being critical of that view and never really give a positive affirmation, which I was disappointed by. Andy's Andy's usually better than that. but um, Clearly there's a deadline there and God gave a group of people over. And if it's not the rapture is the deadline, I don't know what it could have been or what else it might have been. Maybe it's the signing of the treaty. I mean, you get, you're kind of guessing at that point in an arbitrary speculation, I think, at a certain point. But anyway, that's That's that. If you want to find the YouTube video, I'm sure you can find it and and listen to that. But um, anyway, that's that's my conviction in in Second Thessalonians chapter two. All right. Anything else? I should give a last call. Going once. Going twice. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. I've got two minutes, so they're both yours.
1: (laughs) Okay. So. And talking again, kind of going back to wood a straw and precious stones and all all the rest in first Corinthians three mm-hmm. uh, verse ten, the end of it says, "But let each man be careful how he builds upon it it's talking about a foundation and as a wise master builder and all the rest. I've always kind of well i've I've gone back and forth, but i personally I believe okay, this is anything you do, whether it's a sin." whether it's you're always building, you're always building something onto the foundation, which is or the body of Christ. But Mm -hmm. I've heard others teach that, no, it's only when you do good works, but they were done in your own uh, strength. They were, you know, dead good works or human good works. That's the only wood, hay, and straw. And uh, But can wood, hay, and straw also just be when we're operating sin? There's no good works even then. There's no human good works whatsoever. It's just being carnal
0: yeah I would not take it that way. I do think the the whole thrust of the passage is edification because you 're building, although it does start with a farming metaphor or gardening metaphor uh, and, and then it goes to the building metaphor after that right but when you 're talking about gold, silver, precious stones, those are building materials right and then wood, hay stubble those are building materials and so the idea of building upon a foundation, the foundation is Christ, the foundation is being saved in the church age and so uh, what it comes down to is what we are the criteria for our evaluation is the worth of what we put into others, right. and so that 's what gets viewed and so gold, silver, and precious stones means that we are giving our best we are giving everything we are putting we 're not holding back see uh we 're not cheating on the on the building materials as it were we 're not a you know a contractor that Decides to cut corners and and uh, puts inferior materials into the product uh, We're putting the best into one another as we serve one another and so any activity that is an edification activity That where you're 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 giving your best and you're in fellowship and you're glorifying jesus christ Then I think that that's what gold silver and precious stones represents because you are putting high value into your brothers and sisters in christ then consequently, um, any anything that you're doing as an edification exercise that is less than I, less than uh, precious, less than worthy, less than you know the the cutting corners as it were, if you're slacking in your service to your brothers and sisters and giving them less than your best, that's you're still putting material into them. You're just Putting wood, hay, and stubble into them, and so what happens in the judgment seat of Christ, as is described here, is your building materials are then evident. The fire shows it, right? Every time there's a typhoon that sweeps through the Philippines, it's demonstrated that the Philippines has a much has an inferior building code. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, they don't build a code like we build a code here. See, and the and the fire tests that the the wind, the the flood, whatever it is. Uh, m- makes it obvious to everybody whether the the quality is, is there or the, or it's lacking because the fire will consume wood, hay and stubble it will purify gold, silver and precious stone But
1: under that, wouldn't those building materials that are wood, hay and stubble they're still building materials and they still had some benefit mm-hmm. but the fire seems to n- go against that because the fire seems to make it think it was nothing and it just ends up as ash so it had no value
0: Correct So, so how you still blessed a brother here in time Right and the brother was still received that blessing and was still edified it's just you don't get the reward for it in heaven oh, so because they were still blessed in time they were edified in time but you don't get the the reward for that in heaven because your attitude was wrong as you were as you were serving them. right
1: so you're it's almost they almost have the same exact income as let's say uh, just someone who chose to sin almost all their life had you a few precious stones mm-hmm. they're going to have the same outcome really in the end
0: in the end they will suffer a loss of everything right. but they themselves will be saved and okay. so
1: is through fire got gotcha. thank you yeah. that's right
0: all right well those were all excellent questions tonight i appreciate those thank you for running the microphone let's pick up what we were dealing with related to glory we have uh, we're still in main point one, which has subpoints A, B, and C, and we're ready now for tonight to cover main point C. So how about that? Um, as far as glory, greetings, and grace is concerned, when the Father bestows His riches and glory, it diminishes neither His riches nor His glory. And so uh, we've been breaking this down. We studied the principles of glory in the vocabulary there under subpoint A. Had some sub subpoints there, one, two, and three. We'll let that go for tonight. But the idea of glory and glorification, remember, it is influencing someone's opinion about the Lord, that you have a high regard for, for the Lord. And so the, what, when you glorify, what you're doing is you are influencing somebody else's estimation. You want to increase somebody else's estimation of God. And so when you, the things you do to increase somebody else's estimation of God, that's glorification. Because you already have a high estimation of God and you're demonstrating that with your words, with your deeds, with your thoughts, with everything that you do and, you're, and that rubs off. It's going to influence your brother and your sister and your family members that you are communicating that high regard so you influence them to increase their regard for God. And anything you do to increase somebody else's regard for the, the, the glory of God, that's glorification. Glorification. Then uh, recognizing that as the Father is dedicated to glorifying the Son, eternally then, that comes back to Himself. So this was point B then. God the Father's good pleasure to glorify God the Son ultimately glorifies Himself. It ultimately glorifies Himself. And we had it here in this text. We had it uh, back in chapter 2 with the uh, exaltation of Jesus Christ. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. But don't stop the verse there. Philippians 2, 7 goes on uh, 2.11 goes on to say, to the glory of God the Father. When he glorifies Jesus to the maximum, it, it comes back to himself on the eternal scale. So it's to the glory of God the Father. By the way, these are principles too that hold up in, in marriage. This holds up in our relationships one with another. That as we serve one another and esteem the other as more important than ourselves, if uh, if if the husband is dedicated to blessing his wife, does does that not eternally come back to him in the gold, silver, and precious stones rewards of the judgment seat of Christ? And likewise, a wife that spent that's dedicating in her marriage to to uh, supporting her husband, there is eternal reward for that. That comes back as as gold, silver, and precious stones again on the eternal scale. So here's the Father who has spent every moment from Alpha to Omega magnifying His Son. Magnifying His Son. What happens then at the Omega moment? Jesus Christ delivers the kingdom to the Father that God may be all in all. And so we have the the event there we looked at in 1 Corinthians 15. It does glorify Himself as He glorifies the Son. And this is a role that the bride is going to have that uh, the subjection of all things, the glorification of the Father. Jesus has provided a bride to join him in eternally glorifying God the Father. So the Father has been glorifying the Son. Now the Son gets a bride so that together the Son and the bride will be eternally glorifying the Father. Stay tuned for these things because these things are coming up. Ephesians is the book of paterological glory and it's deep, deep stuff. So we'll approach it uh, on, a, on a more basic level in the book of Colossians. Colossians is, is, is like Ephesians light because it's Christological. It's Christology in the book of Colossians. And then we get the, the parallel uh, principles a, a second time. There's so much that overlaps between Colossians and Ephesians, but Ephesians is paterological, stressing the glory of the Father in uh, in these activities. Alright, well now this gets us then to the expression of amen and amen and and uh, forever and ever amen in verse 20, and that's point C in the outline. Forever and ever amen. We could translate this as to the ages of the ages, faithfully be so. Faithfully be so. And uh, in the Greek it reads, eis tus aionos ton aionon Amen. That's the that's the Greek line across the top there. Eis tus, Ionas ton Ionon amen. And even if you don't read Greek, I'm going to force you to read Greek tonight. And so we have we have the Ionas twice. The ages of the ages. It's the same Ionas. It's used twice. First one's in the in the accusative, the second one's in the genitive, but it's Ionas both times. And of course, amen. You can almost read that in the English. Alpha looks like an A. Mu looks like an M. Um, okay, the eta, that's rough. That's, that's a long E sound and it looks like an English letter N. And then that V on the end, that's not a V. That's the Greek letter nu. So it's uh, um, A-M-E-N. Like, how else would you spell amen? A-M-E-N, and we'll talk about it. it what What amen is, is our affirmation, it's our thrill to tell the Father, yes, I believe it, it is so, make it so. It's uh, God is the creator. The, the, the neat thing about amens is, um, first of all, we're not really a big amening kind of church, but anyway, the, the 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 glory of amen is it's our counterpart to God's let there be, right? God is the sovereign God of the universe and the creator and the he's the only I am. But when he says let there be, there is. When he says, let there be light, you know what happens? There's light. When he says, let there be, there is, let there be. And every time he says, let there be, he actualizes, he he creates a reality that was first in his mind and now is in existence, see. And God's the only one that can do that. I would love to be able to do that, but I can't, right? None of us can. We're not sovereign. We're not creators. We don't have the power to say, let there be cheeseburger, right? And then just fill your hand. We just can't. We can ask or pray for it, okay? But now, here's the thing. When God says, let there be, or make it so, it happens. We then get to say the amen. And the amen is a response to let there be. And and so we say, yes, let there be. May it be so. May it eternally be so. May it faithfully be so. And so we are agreeing, and we are celebrating, and we are appreciating what God said, let there be, with yes, make it so, make it be. And so it really becomes a tandem to uh, to God's creation. So faithfully be so, faithfully be so, that's what amen is, faithfully be so, uh, that God will bring this about. Okay, so we'll talk about amen under sub-point three, but before we get to that, we got this forever and ever expression. We got the idea of the ion, the ages, and uh, the ion of the ions. And and so we have different idioms for this. Uh, In the Septuagint, ion is used commonly for the Hebrew word olam. And olam has 439 uses in the Old Testament. So if you thought that ion was a long study, it's uh, it's a fraction of what olam deals with in the Old Testament. But as a a, a very uh, Straightforward use here in First Chronicles sixteen thirty six. Don't often turn to First Chronicles, but I just liked the way this spelled it out. First Chronicles sixteen thirty six, as a definition of eternity. The um, and it's the final verse of a of a long uh, psalm. Going back to verse eight and uh yeah has a parallel in second samuel but when you get to the end of this whole psalm uh the conclusion says uh let's see verse 34 give thanks to the lord for he is good his loving kindness is everlasting his loving kindness is olam everlasting Then say, save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. So here's a verse from the Old Testament that includes everything we're looking at tonight in the New Testament, because you've got the everlasting to everlasting, and then you have the Amen. You got the Hebrew Amen instead of the Greek Amen there, but this is what we're talking about, okay? Because we are temporal creatures; we are creatures of time, bound by time. We we you know, we were born and exist and function all within the the linear time dimension that we understand. God is not; He's outside of all of that. He's the creator of all that, the origin of all that, and so He 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 transcends time, and uh, but He's free to operate within time and all these principles. Um, they become important. So we th- we have a diagram then whereby we have eternity past and we have eternity future. And we have the ages, eternal ages of the past and the eternal ages of the future. Uh, and this is what we envision. It's kind of hard for us because being time creatures that we are, uh, the concepts like infinity, concepts like forever, um it requires our imagination just to just to discuss it, right? Because there's nothing in our experience that, that is analogous to forever see. So there's eternity past, there's eternity future. There's uh from olam to olam in the Hebrew uh is the is the concept there. Same thing in the Greek. The Ionas, the ages of the ages past, the ages of the ages future. Really what happens when you cross prior to the alpha moment and after the omega moment. That's what we're talking about. Once we leave the dimensions of time. Alright. Now, with respect to other usages, okay, we, we want to be honest, intellectually honest to recognize that these terms, while they are regularly used to speak of eternity and while they're regularly used to speak of forever, they also on an idiom basis, they also can speak of a long period of time that's not forever. Okay, and we do the same thing with English idioms. We talk about things that just seem to last forever, you know, and and we use the word forever in a in an idiom where it's not literally forever, but it just seems like it. Okay, it's a very very long time. All right, and so we think of that as forever, and we we even use the word in 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 a way like that. So the Bible does the same thing. So we can talk about the past ages, and we can talk about, you know, the, the coming age. And it was very common for, in Jewish thought, to, to talk about the present age as the here and now, and then the age to come, both in the present age and in the age to come. And that was a very Jewish approach that recognized that the present age is, is the fall. The present age is a fallen race and a fallen world and fallen uh, horrible circumstance. The age to come is going to be the better one. Because that's the one when Messiah is here and sin is dealt with and and um, the lion will lie down with the lamb and we've got peace on earth and all that good stuff. So we have the present age and we have the age to come. And that's more of a of a simple uh, approach to it. But it's the same vocabulary, that's what I'm trying to say. The same vocabulary. And so you may do some reading whereby um, I think scholars that get too smart for their britches, they, they try to quibble in some of the terms. And, for example, because we receive eternal life. We receive Zoe Ionios, eternal life. And then you get some folks that, well, you know, eternal doesn't always mean eternal. It could just mean a really, really long time. And that's where, you know, you just got to stop and say, wait a minute, okay? Because they're trying to build a case based on etymology and usage, failing to see that those contexts are clearly eternal context you will never die means you will never die and when that's put in parallel with live forever then we're okay with Ionios being eternal being forever because you will never die it's it's paralleled with never right and so anyway we'll we'll discuss some of those things I think as we work our way through these passages and hopefully it'll make sense to us all right so Eis, tus ionos ton ionon, this is the fullest expression this is to the ages of the ages, which is a way of just saying the infinite ages, the ages without end, world without end, amen, right? It's to the ages of the ages that just never stops, see? And so it's the fullest expression of infinity, the fullest expression of infinity. Ace, tus, ionos, ton, ionon is the fullest expression. And here's the places where you're going to find it in uh, a lot of them are Pauline, Galatians one five, Philippians 4.20, our passage tonight, 1 Timothy one seventeen, Second 2 Timothy 4.18, Hebrews, I don't think that's Pauline, but it's Hebrews thirteen twenty one, First 1 Peter 4.11, and then 12 times in Revelation. A dozen times in Revelation. This was the Apostle John's favorite expression, not his only expression, but his favorite expression for eternal or eternity in the idea of eternity future. And so uh, because it's doubled, because it's doubled like this, um, translators like to double the, the English rendering, and that's how we end up with just forever and ever. Okay? As if somehow you can have two infinities side by side or something, right? So forever is still infinite. If if we if we crossed off that tone ionon and I just left it with ace tus ionas unto the ages, that itself is an is an idiom that speaks of, of eternity. You don't need the ages of the ages, or you don't need that forever and ever. It's still eternal, whichever way you want to phrase it. So, let's uh, survey these and, and ask ourselves, is this just talking about a finite period of time? You know, and, and I think in English, what we do historically, we can talk about different ages, you know, the Stone Age. <laughs> how long ago was the Stone Age? A long time ago, okay? But it wasn't eternal. And, uh, and how long did it last? Well, I don't know, a long time. But it wasn't eternal, it ended. And then we had the, the Bronze Age and the Iron Age and whatever, you know. We had the Age of Sail and the Age of Steam and different things. All right. So that those are usages of ages that are not eternal. Uh, even in literature, we have the Elizabethan Age, okay, or the Victorian Age and things like that. So when we talk about ages and eras and expressions like that, um, sometimes it's just really, really long but not eternal, and then sometimes it is eternal. And we know by context if that's what we're looking at. So in Galatians 1.5, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? Gentiles eat pork chops. All right, Galatians 1.5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age alright and here's, our, here's going to be our contrast because present is going to be contrasted with what's coming evil is going to be contrasted with glory and, 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 and so forth so this present evil age it's present, it's here and now but it's not eternal and then he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore amen To whom be the glory? And what do we think? In context, is this just for a really, really long time but not quite eternal? Or is this eternal? Why would His glory stop? Why would His glory ever stop? So the natural context for this would be on an eternal basis. To whom be the glory? Aestus ionos ton ionon to the ages of the ages. It's just simply brought across as forevermore. Now to the ages of the ages, amen. Make it so. Make it be eternally so. That's a state of being is the amen statement. God says let it be and we say yes. Let it be. Uh, Philippians 4.20 of course that's our text tonight. 1 Timothy 1.17 1 Timothy 1.17 Here's Paul to his protege. This is, uh, again, a celebration of God's glory and how awesome God is and how faithful in spite of who we are. So, um, verse 15 says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. It is a trustworthy statement. That's the faithfulness of God and His statement that we can say amen to, that it's faithfully so, because He's faithful, the one saying it is faithful. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me is the foremost. Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for what kind of life? Really, really, really long life that's finite that eventually ends sometime? No. Eternal life. Ionios Zoe. Eternal life. Now, to the king eternal. And just in case you think eternal could be a really, really long time but not infinite, the next word says immortal. Oh, can't die. Okay, without death. So obviously in the parallel this is ionos that has to be eternal. To the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Ionas tone Ionon unto the ages of the ages, Amen. Well, clearly God's an eternal being. When when is He going to stop? And the life He gives us is His kind of life. It's not going to stop. Second Timothy four eighteen. And everybody's abandoning him. By this point, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So we know who his scribe was that wrote the text of, uh, that, that put quill to parchment, his amanuensis that wrote 2 Timothy. It was Luke. Only Luke is with me. And of course, he wants him to pick up Mark and Tychicus. There's other names that are mentioned here. He says, At my first offense, verse 16, at my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. This is his moment, like Jesus and like Stephen, to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. On at least two occasions, I think more, he was thrown to the beasts and uh, survived. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory, aistus ionos ton ionon, forever and ever, unto the ages of the ages. Amen. A lot of amens that come with this idiom. Is this just a long period of time? Of course not. It's an infinite period of time. It's beyond space and time. It's with God in the heavenly places forever. Hebrews 13, 21. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus Christ our Lord equip you in every good thing to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through jesus christ to whom be the glory forever and ever amen when is jesus glory going to stop why why do we say it's a long time but not eternal of course it's eternal all right be the glory forever and ever amen first peter 4:11 Uh, Verse 10 says, "...as each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies." And so this is Peter's development of spiritual gifts. It's much more simple than Paul's development. You know, we can get 11 different spiritual gifts in the church age. Peter just breaks it down into two camps. He says, you've got speakers and you've got servers. And uh, in those two broad categories of communication gifts and serving gifts, uh, we're both uh, operating for the glory of Jesus Christ. And then it says so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this is not only eternal glory but glory and dominion both combined with the Istus ionos ton ionon expression that we have in Philippians four twenty, to the ages of the ages, Amen. Make it so. Let it be. Let it be. Faithfully be so. Faithfully be so. That's the Amen expression. Faithfully be so. All right. Um, A dozen times in Revelation, like I say, it's the most popular expression throughout Revelation for eternity. There are others that. other ways to express forever. It is curious to me though, like I said, we're temporal creatures and we have to imagine, we have to use our imagination to try to conceptualize infinity. Uh, And yet, why do we do that? Why do even unbelievers do that? You know, I believe it's because God has set eternity in our heart. Scripture says that. That we're created in His image and since we're image bearers, since the human realm are image bearers, uh, that idea of eternity set in our hearts, I think that's powerful. And even an unbeliever has a, a concept of forever. Even an unbeliever is going to live forever in the lake of fire. Okay, The soul doesn't die. And so it's curious um, why uh, those who hate God and deny that He exists still have a, a compelling drive to try to replace Him with something else that's eternal. Like the universe has been around forever and ever, or other things are eternal. And uh, no, God's eternal. Let's start with that. Oh, no, I don't believe in God. Yeah, yeah you do. You just hate him. That's the, that's the really the contrast related to that. All right. I won't spend a ton of time in Revelation, but we will uh, hit these. This is the month I'm supposed to be in Kiev, Ukraine, teaching Daniel in Revelation. But uh, Pastor Mark Musser is taking my place. All right. Revelation 1.6. He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Same expression we saw in Peter. So uh, uh, glory and dominion both combined with the forever and ever idiom of unto the ages of the ages. When is his glory going to stop? Never. When is our priesthood going to end? Never. Because we are priests in Christ forever. Same chapter down to verse 18. Verse 17 says, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, behold, I am alive forevermore. I am alive forevermore. This is Jesus in His resurrection glory. He says, yeah, I used to be dead for three days, but now forevermore. Unto the ages of the ages, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. I love that. All right, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives to the ages of the ages, He lives forever and ever. Verse 10, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne, will worship Him who lives to the ages of the ages, forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things. You know, in order to create all things, what does that tell you? You've got to be here before all things. (laughs) You preceded that. You were on hand to create all things. And so you are the only I am being in in existence. Everything else that exists, exists because you made it so. You created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. That's Revelation 4. Next chapter, Revelation 5.13 the follow-up song. When you have a number one hit, how do, you, uh, how do you follow that? With another number one hit, okay? And so in chapter 4 they're they they're singing, Worthy Are Thou to the Father, now they're singing, Worthy Are Thou to Jesus, to the Son. And He's the one worthy to take the, the scroll and break the seals. And uh, so the chapter 5 song is a nice follow-up to the chapter 4 song. Every created thing Which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. The fact that Jesus gets the Father's glory is powerful because he said he wouldn't share his glory with another. So he's not sharing his glory with another. He's sharing a glory with his Son that I and the Father are one and we have the, the shared glory that's there. And it's an eternal glory forever and ever. I think I'm preaching to the choir tonight. Is there anyone still unconvinced that forever means forever? That it's a finite period of time? Revelation 7-12 Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's eternal. It's absolutely eternal. You know, if you think about it if we don't have eternal life then the gift of our salvation is, is a tragic mockery. <laughs> you know, thanks for forgiving my sins, thanks for saving me, for however long that lasts. And then without eternal life, it just really diminishes the gift. The gift is eternal life, right? Otherwise, why pay an infinite price to get a finite gift, to get a finite blessing to uh, to fallen man? No, it's got to be an infinite blessing because it's an infinite price that Jesus paid. Revelation 10, 6. 10, 6. So the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever. You're taking a vow by the eternal God. That holds your vow forever. Since he's not going to die, you're always under your vow. So swore by him who lives ever, forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there would be delay no longer. All right. Forever and ever. 11.15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there was loud voice in heaven. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. It's a reign without end. That's the whole point that all the course of Gentile history, the course of cosmos history is finite. Cosmos history had a beginning and it has had fall after fall after fall after fall. Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans, when that stone comes from heaven and it smashes and it fills the whole earth, it is a kingdom without end. Amen. Forever and ever. And it's what we see here. Reigns forever and ever. So that's 11.15, 15.7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke. Remember, Revelation is about seals and trumpets and bowls. Oh my, okay? that's That's the story of Revelation, of the tribulation on earth. He lives forever and ever. 19.3. So here's Hallelujah. After these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth and her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. That's our expression. Chapter 20 and verse 10. And, and you can disagree with this, but you, what's, your, what's your rational basis for disagreeing? What's your rational basis for saying, well, God's a God of love, I don't think He would send anybody to hell forever. Well, Okay, but the Bible seems to say it over and over and over again, so on what basis are you disputing the revealed Word of God? Just your own preferences? Your own modern sensitivities? So uh, when Satan is finally, uh, his final rebellion is ended, fire comes down from the earth, from heaven, and destroys the rebellion. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. Notice that. They're still there. They were thrown in there a thousand years ago and they're still there. You can spot them getting thrown in at the end of chapter 19. Um, and they're still there in chapter 20 and verse 10 to uh, to greet Satan when he arrives. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I, unto the ages of the ages. Finally, twenty two five. There will no longer be any night. They will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the lord god will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. So this is our expression and it's uh, to me it's undeniable. It's only uh, I think some tricky linguists that try to try to excuse the expression. All right. There are other eternity expressions throughout the New Testament. So sub 2, there are other eternity expressions. If you take off the uh the and ever. If you just have Istus Ionas Amen, if you just have unto the ages, Amen. Well, something that lasts unto the ages, that's that's eternal. It's just a shorter form of the longer expression. If it if it can last into the ages, well then it's eternal. Because once you get into the ages, we're outside of space and time. And so that's an expression that's used a couple times in Romans, Romans eleven, thirty-six, and Romans 16, 27. Some people uh, want to kind of hit some nicks, you know, nitpickers. They want to they want to uh, kind of try to find some shades of nuance that that makes these expressions substantively different from the other expressions. And you know, I, I get I guess why they're trying to do that. We do hold a verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. God uses the words He wants to use. He uses the expressions He wants to use. And so while they may be synonymous, they're not identical, and we we have to be intellectually fair to, to accept that, but functionally speaking, forever is just as long as forever and ever. So I think we can relax about it. I also think the fact that God is communicating through human languages means that He Himself is enjoying the variety that human languages have. And that uh, if if everything was just a rigid formulaic expression that cloned you know the same every single time, um, you know that would come under criticism too, as far as people trying to uh, copy other people or, or you know phony forgeries and things like that. So anyway, Romans eleven thirty six. To me, the variety is is glorious. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forevermore. Amen. And so from him, to him, and through him, that that I think is a nice picture of eternity past and temporal present and eternity future, from and through and to. And and he's the one that preceded time. He's the one that follows time. Because um, truly God is the only infinitely eternal being both in a past direction and in a future direction. The eternal life you and I have is is, is infinite future, but not infinite past. We had an alpha moment. We had a beginning. Any creature, anybody except God had a a beginning. He is the only one without beginning. So our eternal life, some some people like to call it everlasting life instead of eternal life. Uh, That way it points to our infinity being one direction only, whereas God is infinite in both directions. Be that as it may. Romans 16.27 also has this shorter expression. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. Unto the ages. Amen. And it's simply a shortened form of what we've been looking at. There's another expression in Ephesians 3.21. And this one, um, not only does it say, unto the ages of the ages. You can kind of see that. So it's even longer than what we looked at under point one. So you have the ice into us every but here we have the two ionos, tone ionon, but it's to every generation. Let's look at this, Ephesians 3.21, to every generation. This came up on Sunday morning, and, and uh, I'm not sure how well I conveyed the idea, but the idea that there are a thousand generations on the way, in the new heavens and on the new earth. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. The main glorifiers, of the main paterological glorifiers are the church and Jesus Christ. I think Gentile glorifiers and Israel glorifiers uh, can glorify Messiah, uh, but it's the church, the bride, that with Messiah glorifies the Father on a paterological basis. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, and then it says, to all the generations forever and ever, to all the generations, forever and ever. And it's, it's a slight variety there that we had under point two. I'm sorry, under point one. It does include the generations. So the fact that it is eternal, that the time never stops, but it does incorporate a, a finite number of generations because it's all of them, right? It's all of them. If the generations never stop procreating, in other words, if, if, if generation one thousand doesn't end it, it, it goes to the next generation, to the next generation, the next generation. If you have an infinite number of generations, you can never have all of them. But if you have a finite number, like a thousand, then you can have all of them. And then it's of course in lasting beyond time forever. Okay, did that help or did that make it worse? All right. I noticed nobody had a question tonight based on the Ephesians message from Sunday morning, so Maybe it made sense, or maybe it was just so bamboozling you couldn't even formulate a question. That's uh, that's possible too. All right, First Timothy 6:16. 6, Here's another one. Uh, this talks about to him be the honor and the power, the eternal power forever. Amen. First Timothy 6:16. 6, it's another idiom. It's another expression that conveys eternity. It's uh, it's really an adjective that uh, that we would render simply as eternal. First Timothy six sixteen. So uh, here is uh, our sovereign God, and and uh, He who is blessed, and only sovereign, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who alone possesses immortality, and dwells in unapproachable light, who no man has seen or can see. To Him be the honor, and eternal dominion. Amen. So it says to him, "Let there be, let there be, honor and eternal dominion." Amen. And so there's eternal, ionion. The same ionion we have with our zoe. When we get ionion zoe, we get eternal life. It's eternal dominion for the immortal God who alone possesses immortality. Who alone possesses immortality. Infinitely backwards, infinitely forward, who alone possesses immortality. Alright. Then uh, 2 Peter 3.18. Both now and to the day of the age. 2 Peter 3.18. This one's interesting. I find all of them curious. But um, you've probably heard 2 Peter chapter 3. I like to open... 2 Peter chapter 3. This is the according to His promise chapter. But when it says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it says, to Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. To the day of eternity. Amen. And what's striking about that is as just another way to express forever, as another way to express uh, eternity future. But instead of saying to the ages of the ages, he just says to the day, singular, there's only one day, of eternity. The day of eternity. There are no tomorrows in heaven. There are no tomorrows in eternity future. It, there's no night. If there's no night, it's just one eternal day. How, how would we track tomorrow if, if night doesn't come? If it's If it's the eternal day. And that's what it's described here. So to Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The, tr- the Trinitarian expression in Jude 25, likewise, to our only God and sa- our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. And then look at this, before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. So we have pro, pantos to ionas before all the ages, and now, and Unto all the ages. Amen. So that's, that's uh, for a lot of folks, Jude 25 is their favorite uh, expression of that chart right there. Jude 25 is their favorite expression of before all the ages, and now, and unto all the ages. The expression there. All right. I've got 15 seconds to teach the Amen doctrine. Well, I guess I won't. Amen is an English word. It comes from a Greek word, which comes from a Hebrew word. <laughs> so when we say Amen, what language are we speaking? Okay. At, we are affirming. It is an affirmation of the faithful reality of God's statements. Let God be found true, though every man a liar. It is a, He is faithful and true, and, and it's our joy Just say amen. Amen. Faithfully be so. Faithfully be so. He said it. Amen. He who believes in me will never perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Faithfully be so. Faithfully be so. Because God promised. God promised. All right. Thank you, Father, for tonight. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. It's our joy to say amen. We can say amen now. We can keep saying amen forever and ever and ever. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days, Father. It's uh, such a glorious truth to, uh, to praise our Savior forever because He's infinitely worthy, to praise You forever, Father, and uh, open our eyes to see these glorious truths. Help us to be more effective in our glorification that uh, everyone we encounter will have a higher estimation of who You are because we influence them to have a higher estimation of who you are and what you've done, Father. Thank you for this, uh, for these classes. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.